Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. The world of religious liberty is chaotic at best. New challenges, new demands, new controversies are commonplace and increasing with each passing year. To help us sort through the good, the bad, and the dangerous, I've invited employment law attorney practicing in Los Angeles and a frequent guest on this program, Michael Peabody, to join us. Michael is also the creator and driving force behind the very insightful website, religiousliberty.tv. Michael, welcome back to LifeQuest Liberty. Thank you so much. Good to be back. Okay, what's on your religious liberty radar these days? Are there any cases pending or underway that deserve our special attention going forward? Well, there's some really big issues going on right now. It's the Supreme Court. We recently filed a friend-of-the-court brief on behalf of Founders First Freedom asking the court to hear the case of Daryl Patterson versus Walgreens. Mr. Patterson was a Seventh-day Adventist who was terminated because he was unable to work on Sabbath, and the employer said that they weren't even going to try to accommodate him because potentially conflicts could arise in the future. And so he lost at the lower level when the trial court and the higher courts up until the Supreme Court upheld a summary motion judgment, Mm -hmm. meaning that the lower courts didn't even hear the case. They looked at the merits in the light most favorable to him and said no matter what would happen, he would lose that case. Mm. So we've got a opportunity for this case to go up to the U.S. Supreme Court. There are a number of amicus briefs filed in support of the Supreme Court here in the case. And the employer in the case initially did not respond to the petition for a hearing at the court, but now the court has asked them to respond, and their response is due in mid-January. So we should know soon whether or not the Supreme Court will hear this case. This will overcome about 40 years of precedent since 1977 when the United States Supreme Court ruled in TWA versus Hardison that an employer only needs to show de minimis effort in order to demonstrate that they reasonably tried to accommodate a Sabbath keeper. So that's a big case, and we're looking forward to knowing whether or not the court will hear it. In the case of Walgreens, what would be called a reasonable accommodation here? What would that look like? Well, there has to be some attempt to actually resolve the conflict between the job requirement and the employee's religious requirements. Uh And they can't say, well, we don't think you'd be accommodated, therefore we're not even going to try to find a solution. They need to try to find a solution. And this isn't saying that every case will reach accommodation. Not every case will. There are certain circumstances that would favor the employer or that would favor the employee. But what we're asking the court to do is have a consistency across the circuits, because currently there are three different splits in the ways that the circuit courts of appeal are understanding the accommodation requirement. Some of them are saying that whether or not an employer can accommodate a person is strictly a job for the jury to decide. Others are saying that it can be ruled on on summary judgment, and others are saying that the courts can immediately say that they've made reasonable attempts to accommodate without doing any real in-depth research at all. So it's a big issue, and it's something that I think is going to help out a lot of people and bring clarity for both employers and employees, because right now, the way it's working out, employers don't really understand what their religious accommodation requirements are, Mm -hmm. because they are so different from place to place and from court to court. So 
hopefully the Supreme Court will take the case and provide some clarity and guidance to the nation on how to address this issue. You've made it very clear here that the idea behind all this is not to force any employer to do something they don't want to do, but to force employers instead to at least to try to do something the employee needs to have done. Am I right? Well, that's it. And also, employers need consistency. It's how the stock market works. It's how employment law works. You know, you need to know what to expect. And if an employer understands that they have a certain requirement to meet, then they'll try to meet it. If they go to one state and they find that they don't have to meet that requirement, they go to another state and they get nailed for it. And that's a problem, especially when you're dealing with a common federal statute. And another aspect is in most of these cases, and there are a number of cases that go up all the time about this, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission of the federal government has actually sided with the employee and taken the case up only to be met with very different results from the courts. Mm. So it's something that needs to be done. It's really kind of a housekeeping matter, if you want to simplify it. Yeah. All right, very good. We're talking with Michael Peabody. He is an employment law attorney in Los Angeles and also the driving force behind ReligiousLiberty.tv. I understand that there was an issue recently in this country about Christmas decorations. Am I right? Well, it's a local issue up in northern Idaho. There was a family that every year puts on this display for Christmas in their neighborhood. Uh-huh. And, you know, people like to put up lights in their yard or like to put up a Christmas tree or, or different things. But this family would bring in a camel, goats, <laughs> 200,000 lights, and they'd have a Santa Claus that people could give a donation to to have a picture taken with. Yeah. And they'd give hot chocolate and candy and all kinds of wonderful stuff. The problem was this is about a 3,000-square-foot house in the middle of a residential neighborhood that has an HOA. And the family said, oh, well, we understand you don't want cars all over the place, so we're going to actually get a shuttle bus to bring people in from a location off-site a mile away. And then they increased the number of shuttle buses. Then they had a choir come and sing at their house, and the people do concerts there for free. It was a wonderful, wonderful event for everybody except the neighbors. <laughs> okay. So the HOA... That's the Homeowners Association, right? Yeah, Homeowners Association, yeah. yeah. So they thought, well, what we'll do is we'll write a letter to this guy and say, look, you know, be reasonable here. We don't want to have to go through legal processes. That, that costs money for the HOA. And so they wrote a letter to them and said, look, you know, this is really obnoxious. You know, you have 10,000 people coming through on an average every season for five nights for three hours a night, and then they expanded to four hours a night. And it's quite an elaborate event, something that would be bigger than most stores could handle. And they said, look, you know, just calm it down. You know, don't make it so big. And then they decided to add this language. I hesitate to say this, but this could offend people from different religious groups who are not Christian. Hmm. Well, the homeowner, who happened to be a lawyer, decided that this amounted to religious discrimination against him for having these decorations. So instead of the HOA suing to stop the decorations, he decided to sue the HOA, and he sued for, I believe, $225,000, and he won $75,000. Impunitive and compensatory damages. Hmm. Michael, that doesn't taste good in my mouth. There's something amiss here. How do you feel about it? Well, you know, it's part of a war on Christmas. Yeah, yeah. You know, war on this guy's uh, celebration of his religious beliefs of Santa Claus and reindeer and (laughs) camels and goats and 200,000 lights. You know, it would seem that if we want people to accommodate us, we need to be as accommodating as we want them to be. Well, I think so. On bottom line, I think this guy was being a jerk. Yeah. I think his neighborhood decoration was way overblown. 
I mean, you know, if you have somebody who comes in to your house next door and has a party once a week, yeah. and they have 100 people there, that would be kind of a big deal. Yeah. yeah. But if you can imagine having your neighbor next door with 10,000 people coming in from all over the place, who knows who, and you want your kids to be able to go outside and play or have fun or whatever, mm-hmm. and you have to keep them inside because you don't know who all these people are, and it's a safety concern, and you're paying money to the HOA to kind of keep you neighborhood quiet and calm. I think this guy blew the case out of proportion. And unfortunately, the jury bought into it because there's been a lot of talk about the war on Christmas. But a lot of times these arguments are just ginned up issues that, you know, obviously, if if there's a war on Christmas, then the Macy's Day Parade wouldn't be on. Right, Right. exactly. exactly. The Thanksgiving Parade, the shopping malls would all be devoid of any Christmas decorations or whatever, and there'd be a lot of pressure about this. But there's no war on Christmas. People can say Merry Christmas to their hearts. Always have been, And the HOA should not have had that language, you know, talking about there are people that will be offended by that, because that opened the door for this guy, right? Well, yeah, they always said, we hesitate to say this, and, I, and they should have not said it. Yeah, exactly. They should, they should have kept on hesitating, yes. One thing I've learned as a lawyer is if, if you say, I hesitate to say this, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> That's Rule of thumb. Right. You know, and the other thing is, if you're dealing with a crazy person who's going to be doing this degree of display, yeah. then you probably want to get a lawyer in early on to have them help you write a very, very narrowly tailored letter saying, here's what the HOA requirements are, here's exactly your covenant that you signed to be in the HOA, and here's how you're violating it. Please come into compliance. That's all you need to say. The rest of it you don't need to say. Don't try to reason with somebody who's not going to be reasonable. All right. Very good. Michael Peabody here, an attorney. He has heard these kinds of things before. And we're talking now about pending problems and actual problems that are going on in the religious liberty realm. That one really was not a religious liberty issue, but it was tried to be made into a religious liberty issue. And uh, it sort of succeeded, but it kind of failed in spirit. That's what I'm thinking about this thing. Okay. We have about three minutes left here. Uh, you, you mentioned something about the Eighth Amendment uh, recently in some material I saw that is under attack. What's going on with that? Yeah, what's going on is there's a case at the United States Supreme Court that they've decided to hear involving what's called a civil forfeiture rule in Indiana. Mm -hmm. This means that in the state of Indiana, if you have a vehicle or building or anything that's been used in the commission of a crime, and they can prove that it was suspected to be part of that, they can actually take that away from you, even if you have no criminal conviction, Hmm. because it's a civil action. So what happened was, and it sounds like a horrible set of facts, but there was a guy who sold $250 worth of opioid medications from his $40,000 Land Rover, and he sold it to an undercover cop. Hmm. The maximum fine for the crime would be $10,000. However, the state of Indiana seized the Land Rover, which he bought from inheritance money from his father, and they took away the vehicle, which was four times the value of the maximum fine in the case. And so the Supreme Court's going to decide whether or not this violates the Eighth Amendment. Right now, there are a majority of states that actually outlaw that type of civil forfeiture because they believe it violates the takings clause of the Eighth Amendment. Now, why this matters to religious liberty is that the Bill of Rights is made applicable to the states via the 14th Amendment, which was passed after the Civil War, saying that everybody in the different states has all the due process rights afforded to them under the Bill of Rights. So you can't have a state interfering with your Bill of Rights rights. And in this case, the state of Indiana is saying, no, 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 the 
Eighth Amendment takings clause does not apply to state action, only to federal action. This is the same line of arguments that's been used when it comes to the Establishment Clause, religion, or various free exercise issues in the states. So we're paying close attention to that case simply because anything having to do with the incorporation of the Bill of Rights to the states via the 14th Amendment is of utmost concern to religious liberty because that is the linchpin of civil rights and of religious liberty in America. And so we'll be watching this case very closely and seeing what happens. And we'll be checking back with you to see what happens on that case. It's just amazing how religious liberty is really intertwined through so much of our government, of our society, and the rules and regulations that govern us. It is intertwined there, and when you start snipping away at these rights, you're also snipping away at religious liberty rights. Well, Michael, our time is up. I want to say thank you for joining us now on this and bringing us up to date. Again, Michael's website is religiousliberty.tv. Check it out, listener. Lots of good stuff there and learn more details about the things we've talked about here on this program. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Michael Peabody inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <laughs>